My name is Brock, and this is the Dungeon Master's Toolkit Podcast. Hello, everybody. On today's episode, I have something a little bit different for you. I'm not interviewing somebody. Um, It is just going to be me talking about a handful of mechanics that you can hopefully steal for your game, regardless of the system that you are running. Now, to get started off, there's maybe a little bit of an inside joke that I always bring up the Star Wars uh, RPGs by Fantasy Flight. So, Age of Rebellion, um, Edge of the Empire, and Force and Destiny are the main uh, core books. And so, I'm going to just do a little spotlight deep dive on the books and kind of three sets of mechanics that I think you could uh, be inspired by or steal for uh, your home game. The three mechanics that we're going to talk about are Destiny Points, Obligation, Duty, and Morality, and finally mooks and minions. Remember that we do have a design contest going for another week ending on 9:10. So if you haven't gotten your submission in, be sure to do that. Links are in the description. Um, you can also find out more information on the server, but the Google form link should have everything you need. If you are new to this, It is a design competition for a creature or monster that would live in or near a fantasy desert metropolis. And the competition is system agnostic, so you don't need to know stats or anything. You just have to have some descriptions. You get to use your words, uh, give it some keywords, talk about how big it is and how fast it moves and all that fun stuff. And the winner will get a $10 gift card to either Amazon or DriveThruRPG. That will be their choice. And that winner will be announced on the episode of 917, so the following week after the submissions are done. And then um, I'm going to collect all of those up and release them as part of the PDF that I'm putting together. Um, So if you're interested in that, uh, multiple submissions are also allowed. So please, if you submitted one, go submit another one or convince your friend to get in on it. So I'm really looking forward to read through all of these submissions. The last competition was a lot of fun and I loved reading through everything. So I'm just really excited for this next round. And finally, if you would like to be interviewed on the show, then fill out the Google form that I have in the description and join our Discord server. It's the best way to know when I have new interview slots open up. And with that, let's get into the episode. First on the list is Destiny Points. This is a system uh, that I think actually appears in other systems as well. I believe Fate has a similar kind of point system here. And what destiny points are, kind of at their base level, is they're a double-sided coin, basically. There's a light side and a dark side, because this is Star Wars. And basically what can happen is at any time, the players can use a light side point and flip it over, and they can get some effect out of that. So one of the basic ways that they can do this is by um, just increasing one of their, or upgrading their uh, check that they're making. So they can only do this once, but it basically turns one of their regular dice into uh, an upgraded dice, 
which makes them more likely to exceed. It's kind of like uh, throwing, it's like giving yourself advantage almost in D&D. It's not quite that powerful um, as advantage would be, uh, but it's similar. It's or like an inspiration type mechanic. And it just bumps their roll up. So you can kind of flavor this in Star Wars as either their luck or like the influence of the force um, coming to their aid, right? In this, you know, pivotal moment when they decide to spend that point. Now, what happens though is that when they spend that point, it flips and now it's available for use by the dungeon master, right? And the dungeon master can use it in the exact same way, in kind of the reverse way. So they can upgrade checks to either make them more difficult, like if you were jumping over a uh, chasm or something, uh, they could say, you know what, I'm going to spend a destiny point, I'm going to make this just a little bit more difficult for you, because I think that would be interesting. Uh, they can also use it when NPCs are making checks specifically around attack rolls and things like that. And because the upgraded dice in Star Wars are the ones that have the critical hit symbols on them. That means that, especially for attacks, uh, the opponents are going to be more likely to land critical hits on the party, which is, is not good for them. Uh, conversely, it is good for the players if they're upgrading their own checks. The other way that destiny points can be used is as somewhat of like story modifiers or scene modifiers. One of the examples they give in the book is to produce a small item that the party probably would have access to or would would be able to get relatively easily, uh, but they maybe just didn't bring it with or didn't plan ahead. Um, the example that they give in the book is that you land on a planet and you realize that the planet has a toxic environment and you can't breathe the oxygen or whatever it is. And basically what they end up doing is the player flips the destiny point over and says something to the effect of, oh, I'm so glad that we packed those rebreathers in the ship before we came, right? So now, okay, there's kind of a story slough reason to have access to that thing so that they can just, like, be on the planet. Um, and it kind of lets them avoid some of the consequences um, now this is up to the game master as to how powerful or how, you know, what is acceptable, right? Because, you know, you, they can't just go somewhere and be like, okay, we're going to buy this thing and I'm going to flip a destiny point and, oh, I'm so glad I won the lottery last week and I have 2 million credits so we can just buy everything, right? Like that's not how it works. It has to be a kind of like a minor item or something that the party would have reasonably had access to. Now, what this reminds me of is um, kind of two things. Um, it kind of reminds me of gear in both Dungeon World and uh, Blades in the Dark, uh, kind of their, the equipment list that you have there. And it also um, kind of is reminiscent of... Uh, the flashbacks from Blades in the Dark, and I think that you could actually expand the Destiny Point system, and actually having played Blades in the Dark with flashback mechanics that incur stress, uh, Star Wars, uh, this system has a stress system as well, I would just straight up add that in. I'd say flip a Destiny Point, take a couple stress, and then do your flashback scene, right? 
So um, those those two things uh, really remind me of each other the the gear and the equipment because they're they're kind of basically saying I, I wasn't specifically prepared for this moment but my character probably would be my characters are professional bounty hunters or mercenaries or adventurers or whatever like they're going to be prepared for this thing I'm going to use this resource to just it happens right and if your uh, side runs out of points and you don't have any active you can't do that so uh, there is a little bit of a kind of a resource uh, back and forth usage um, and that's one of the things and kind of one of the um, flaws that people have mentioned online is that this system is really meant to ebb and flow kind of like the force it only really works when players and the GM are using them now in some cases sometimes the players will forget that they can use them sometimes the DM will forget that they can use them and so if this is something that you were to steal um, you would want to just be sure that there are adequate opportunities for players to spend these resources and that they know that it's something that should be done fairly often and then vice versa for the DM that the DM should also be using these up so that they um, this so that the players get them as currency back one other thing that the game started doing um, I don't know a ton of the mechanics on all of these, but some of the abilities that you can, um, or talents, I guess in this case, that you can purchase uh, when you level up or when you gain experience, um, require you to spend a destiny point to activate them. Um, a lot of them have like a once per session, you may spend a destiny point and do this thing that is super overpowered and it's very specific to your class like there's a tinkerer class that can just make some object just on the spot right they just spend the destiny point they do the thing they can only do it once per session uh, and that's it and i i kind of think that they should have leaned more into spending destiny points to activate powerful abilities um and that i think that is something that you could potentially add in as well and maybe not like if you're playing D&D you maybe aren't able to add that in as like a class mechanic, but you could add something like that in on uh, magic items or something, right? Like you have a shield, and if you spend a destiny point, it increases your AC by three for the round or something to that effect, right? You trigger some powerful effect, or you have a once per session, you may spend a destiny point to do XYZ. Whatever it is, I think that Star Wars should have leaned more into that and just given the players more reasons on their character sheet to spend destiny points besides just increasing stats uh, during checks. Um, but that's just me. Now, the way that the destiny pool is assembled is at the beginning of a session uh, there's a force dice that gets all of the players roll a force dice and that force dice has basically light side and dark side symbols on it and then for each symbol that's rolled the, those tokens are placed um, on the table so some day some sessions you may have 
you may start with a bunch of light side points and have a ton of uh, destiny points on the table. Other days you might roll poorly and only have a few destiny points and they might mostly be dark side points or whatever. If I were going to steal this, I think one of the easiest ways to do this would just to be get a handful of quarters or some type of coin that you have at the table and do, you know, heads or tails. You know, one side is the good side for the players, the other side is the bad side for the DM. And you maybe wouldn't need to do that kind of like random initiation of the pool. I would probably say the table starts with five coins or maybe it's one coin per player plus the DM um, and then start with like half of them rounded up on the plate the side of the players right or whatever I think some rule like that would be super easy to um, initiate and then you just you just have a couple coins with you and you're good to go or if you have extra dice laying around, you could just have two piles, right? You could have a, a GM side pile and a player side pile, and when they get used, you just toss the dice into the other pile, uh, and then they can use them and throw them back the other way. But I think that you really could use this as a mechanic to bring in some of those things like flashbacks or to give yourself inspiration or little boosts here and there or to produce small items that would make sense for your scenario um, things like that and then the DM can use them in the opposite way they can make uh, they can bump up the difficulty on checks when they're maybe are a little bit easier than they should have been or you can cause bad things to happen um, and th that's a, that is a tricky one because the GM doesn't necessarily need mechanics to just like make stuff up um, so maybe be careful with that a little bit, but you could, you know, you could introduce things like uh, you, this player failed on a check and then like, we're going to spend a dark side point to make it worse or whatever, right? So now the, now the building's on fire because you, uh, you missed your arrow shot and you knocked over a candle. Um, so those are destiny points. That's how the destiny point system works. And that's how I would steal it. I just get some coins and just pretty much just lift it as is. Next on my list is obligation, duty, and morality. And these are all similar mechanics. Um, they were each released in their kind of respective core rule books. And they all work kind of slightly differently, but also similarly. So we'll get into that. Obligation was introduced in the Edge of the Empire game. And obligation is like things like debt that you owe to somebody or an addiction that you might have or, uh, you know, you're being blackmailed by some relationship with somebody or... Um, you, you know, things like that, things that are an obligation that you have to fulfill uh, as they relate to your person. Um, duty is kind of a similar but opposite version of this. I, I think reputation is maybe a better name for this. Um, duty is the kind of shared glory and reputation that you have. Um, 
for completing good deeds for a specific faction. Um, and then, so obligation and duty are really, um, they're, and I guess all of these kind of in a way are kind of faction mechanics, um, or as they, and kind of, uh, duty specifically is faction oriented because it's the things that you do for a specific faction. And then kind of how your uh, group is kind of leveling up in uh, respect with that faction. And then morality is individual, but it is how your character, especially in Star Wars, is dealing with the Force, the light side of the Force and the dark side of the Force. So this could be kind of like your D&D alignment uh, system where you have like good and evil. Uh, you've got light side, dark side, and it's basically where you fall on that spectrum, you gain effects based on how far you are in uh, to one side or the other, right? Um, if you're farther to the dark side, you gain abilities with the dark side. If you're farther to the light side, you gain those abilities instead. Um, that's something that I think you could maybe steal for like a magic system. Uh, maybe not uh, morality per se, but maybe like a corruption purity scale. Um, and, and kind of go that route is like how much the magic is twisting you versus you're controlling it type of thing. Um, back to obligation and duty because they work um, more similarly than morality does. Obligation, uh, when you start with character creation, you can take on additional obligation up to a certain amount. Uh, they, they have recommended levels that you should have. Um, and this is basically percentile amounts. Um, you can take on additional obligation to gain bonus credits when you start the game and ex extra experience when you start the game that you can spend during character creation. So if you take on additional debt to somebody um, or these, you know, addictions to some chemical or whatever, you're kind of giving yourself character flaws that can come up and be used as hooks by the dungeon master or the game master um, to create stories. I mean, there's actually a mechanic procession that I'll get to in a minute. Uh, but you can spend kind of that currency to um, boost your character when you start. Um, and duty is kind of, it, it's the same thing, but the opposite. Um, it's as you, uh, I believe when you do character creation, um, if you start with less duty, you get more experience or you can start with more duty, which means you're closer to kind of leveling up with that faction, if that makes sense. Um, and then morality is kind of, um, so those two are kind of opposites of each other, and morality is kind of the in-between state because it can go both up and down, kind of positive and negative. Um, the way that these mechanics work is you take everybody's obligation, so it's going to be some number um, on a scale from basically 1 to 100 or 0 to 100. They're percentiles. And each player is going to have like 10 or 15 of each. Or let's take obligation first um, because they do work a little bit differently. So obligation, let's say you have 
Uh, you took on some extra debt, so you owe a crime lord a debt, that's 10 obligation. And you also have this like chemical addiction to spice, that's another 5 obligation. For a total of 15 obligation, and you can kind of split this up however you want. There are tables and ideas, um, pretty extensive tables and ideas in the book that tell you like, here are some ideas that you can have for these different things, which is really cool. And you could lift that straight out of the book. Um, because it really doesn't impact any of the other mechanics in the game. Now, with obligation, so let's say my character has 15 obligation. You kind of write that down, and you write it down for the whole group. So um, 0 to 15, that's my character. My buddy's character, he took on a little bit more obligation. He took on 10 for being blackmailed by somebody, and he took on 10 because he also owes the same crime boss, um, some money, right? So he's got 20. And you add this together as a group. So they're individual scores, um, but as they apply, they apply to the group. So you basically at the beginning of the session, you add those up and you say 0 to 15, that's my character, and 15 to 35, that 20 range, is my buddy's obligation. And you roll a percentile that dice. And if you land within one of those ranges, that obligation triggers, right? So if I rolled, uh, or if the DM rolled a 14, that's in my range of 0 to 15, and it's in that, um, that little slice of 5 for my addiction that my character has, right? So that obligation triggers. I take a penalty to my uh, total... Um, stress stress threshold uh, that I have. I think it's by two for the entire session. So it's like you know, characters don't have a lot of uh, strain or health uh, points. So it, they're usually like on average about 10. So you're taking like a 20% hit to your um, strain threshold for the session. And everybody else takes um, an, a, just one basically penalty to it because the the stress of whatever that obligation is is weighing on the group and what they suggest is that you should use that thing narratively in uh, in a scene during the session have them deal with withdrawal symptoms or something that just relates to it um, one of the other options is that you have a bounty on your head right well if you roll that one where uh, you roll the obligation and it's that you have a bounty, bounty hunters are going to show up like in the middle of whatever you're doing and try to catch you, right? Just completely throws a wrench into the session narratively. But it makes sense based on these kind of background things that your characters have. And your characters are encouraged to um, use these to get extra experience at the start of the game. It's very powerful to start out with additional experience. Um, and so it, it, you want to do that, right? Uh, but then you have this penalty for how, you know, the more obligation that your group has as a whole, the more frequently it's going to come up and it's going to plague your character, um, which can lead to some really cool um, kind of emergent story uh, things when things from your character's past come up in the session. And nobody could decide that before the session happened. 
Now, they do have ways to, um, if you make narrative progress towards reducing those, like spending credits to pay down your debt, or doing some sort of treatment for your addictions, you can clear them or reduce uh, your obligations in different areas so that you um, have less uh, of that going for your party. You can also have the option to take on additional um, obligation later in the game. I don't think this is touched on as much, but like maybe you lowered it with something and you wanted to take a hit. Uh, and I would talk to your game master about this first, but you maybe you wanted to, um, you just really needed some extra experience to get to that next cool ability. You could either take on another loan or maybe that's uh, taking on a loan. I would say would be if you wanted to like buy a starship or something, uh, but like maybe you, just want to get this new ability maybe you take on more of that addiction um to get enough xp to hit that next level right so there's things that you can do with this kind of scale um narratively and mechanically to have complications for your characters and kind of growth and development for your characters as well and i would just lift this pretty much straight out of the book duty on the other hand is like I said more geared towards factions so where obligation was a penalty um, duty is a bonus so you do the same thing you add up your um, duty for you know being a soldier or a loyal soldier for so long or being in with somebody's you know noble family or whatever the case may be in their massive list of ideas and you do the same thing. You add it up as a group, and you roll a percentile dice, and if you land in one of those things, then you get some bonus for the session. I believe you also get a bonus to your strain thresholds as well. Um, I'm not for sure on that, but you do get some sort of bonus. So it's kind of like you're riding the high of your last mission's accomplishments. Um, and then again, you can use those things narratively as they're rolled to indicate what the bonus is like maybe you're going on a mission and you rolled um and you hit your duty for being uh related to some noble or something like that you have a royal family and you get some bonus because maybe you get like extra gear or something for that mission or you know somebody comes up to you before you leave and hands you xyz some special thing that's going to help you on your mission right similar to obligation but in the reverse way where you can actually you actually gain um things going forward the other mechanic that obligation doesn't have um, that duty does is when you max it out so as you're narratively completing missions for a faction you should be gaining duty and reputation with this faction so that's going to grow and basically when you max it out when your group hits a hundred percent um of the duty you basically take a group level up where the uh faction that you're working for is going to trust you more now it's kind of like ranking up and they're going to give you access to maybe fancier weapons or your own base or a new starship or something of that net maybe they'll put you in command of a small other group of of uh faction members 
whatever it is, you get some like major bonus and then your uh, duty resets back down to zero, right? And then you grow it up and then you hit, you know, another higher level of reputation at 100 and then even bigger rewards. And you kind of, that makes more sense in like a um, Age of Rebellion type game where you're playing as like soldiers and you're, you're progressing the faction and whatever. But this could be really applied to any faction. And finally, morality. I haven't played with this one as much because I don't have the Force and Destiny book. But um, from my understanding, it is like obligation and duty, except that this one is specifically individual. It doesn't affect everybody as a group. Uh, it affects you personally. So if you're farther on the dark side, that really only affects you. If you're farther on the light side, still really only affects you. But it does change how you interact with the force and how you um, what bonuses or penalties you get for different uh, sides of those abilities and I think many of the force abilities have options different options for um, light side and dark side users so depending on how you kind of want to tweak your force or your magic uh, you would lean one way or another this one would maybe be a little bit more difficult to bring into like a D&D &D campaign uh, than obligation or duty would be. But I think it's still something if you wanted to look into like a corruption mechanic or just having like different tweaks on um, how kind of how your alignment almost changes your uh, your magic skills. And finally we are going to talk about mooks and minions. So uh, the game doesn't actually call it mooks and minions, they just have minion groups, uh, but I, I just like the sound of mooks and minions. It sounds like a Dungeons and Dragons type thing. Now I'm sure there are other games out there that use minion groups, um, and I'm not 100% on the rules that they use, but the Star Wars games have three kind of ranks of NPC. So there's the minion groups, um, which are kind of large groups of smaller units. Then you also have adversaries. That's kind of your like generic uh, NPC or enemy. And then you have uh, a nemesis. And those are more like kind of anti-players or like they're more statted out like a, an actual player would be. They've got more talents, more abilities that make them more on par with a, like an actual player character than just a standard enemy adversary would be. I don't have much to say about nemesis or adversary type characters, but I think that the way that they handle minion groups is very efficient. Um, and it scales it scales nicely and in, in a way that makes sense to me. So the most common, Star Wars enemy that you're going to come across as a minion is probably going to be stormtroopers, right? There's a lot of them, and the really one of the core defining features of a minion group is that they work together very closely. They move as a unit, they act as a unit, and that makes sense for a squad of highly trained soldiers, right? Like they're not moving around individually, around doing their own thing. They're coordinated. They're all attacking the same targets. They're drawing fire, providing cover fire, 
whatever they work as a squad as a unit that is where their strength lies to begin with and they have a base uh, stat line um, for their core uh, characteristics and they also have like a handful of skills uh, and then they have group skills I forget if that's exactly what it's called or not but effectively they have group skills that scale uh, with each uh, unit in the squad or in the minion group the way that dice rolls are or dice pools actually are calculated is based on how many ranks you have in a skill um, and then your baseline characteristic right um, and so these group skills will scale with the number of remaining units in the group so let's just say um, they have a group skill that's ranged attacking which makes sense ranged weapons because they're a soldier you know sci-fi squad so they get a bonus they get an extra rank in that skill for every stormtrooper that is still alive in that minion group right because the more stormtroopers you have shooting at one thing the more likely they're going to hit that thing right and then also um, because of the way that damage is, is tied into the actual role that actually means that they do more damage or are more likely to do more damage because they're rolling more dice or more of the upgraded dice when they attack. Now, when a player decides that they want to attack a minion in the minion group, they just you basically just target the whole group, the group as a whole. It's one unit, it has a shared health pool, and then you basically have um, the shared stats and you have a threshold for how many um, or how much health a single unit in the squad has so let's take a squad of five stormtroopers let's say that an individual stormtrooper has five uh, ten health so the group as a whole has 50 health and if the player wants to attack one of the minions in the group or really they just target the whole squad of stormtroopers right doesn't really matter they're gonna be in a, in a fairly concentrated area to begin with they, sh they should be because they move together they act together let's say your player decides to attack the minions and they deal 15 damage to the minion group since they did more than 10 they they brought that threshold down they killed off one of the stormtroopers and they can kind of narrate like how does that stormtrooper get killed right uh, but they also did a little bit more than that right so they didn't just stop at the 10 damage for the one stormtrooper they actually did damage to another one so they maybe fired a couple shots they took one of the stormtroopers out and and nicked uh one of the other stormtroopers like in a glancing shot on the chest right so he took damage but it wasn't enough to kill him but the group as a whole takes the damage now since the group has lost one of its members it also loses a little bit of its skill right so those group skills are going to decline they don't have instead of having five ranks in their ranged skill now they only have four ranks in their skill so they're going to become less and less effective as they are weeded out 
One of the really big benefits that you get here is that it consolidates a lot of the housekeeping that you have to do because instead of keeping track of five separate stormtroopers and separate health uh, amounts for each one and initiative and all of that stuff, you can combine it down into one mob, essentially, of stormtroopers and they can just take one single turn and they can uh, do their thing and they have all their stats combined together it's just one thing you have to keep track of it just streamlines running multiple enemies um, a lot this is also going to help a little bit with action economy balance because um, one of the big things that people talk about online is that your action economy and whoever whoever has more people on their side to take actions will generally come out ahead over the long run because that's more actions that can be doing productive things. So if you have just a massive amount of stormtroopers, you would effectively whittle down the party just from the sheer number of like constant individual little attacks and stuff like that. Um, whereas combining some of these bigger groups into just a minion group gives them a more powerful base where they're more likely to hit then they're probably going to do more damage in a single attack but they're also kind of concentrating fire and they're not going to just you know nickel and dime your party to death essentially now the way that i would take this over to something like D&D would probably be pretty similar. I would probably give a group, let's say goblins or orcs, because those tend to act in groups or packs. I would give them baseline statistics, and then I would also indicate a handful of skills that would be group skills that are going to get bonuses for the number of minions that they have in that minion group. So specifically I would probably do their primary melee attack or melee or ranged um, weapons and you know maybe like stealth or other you know skills like that for goblins maybe for orcs it's different. Um, but I would give them a handful of skills that can be increased based on the number that they have. Now, for attack rolls and like damage rolls, like in D&D, I would say that if you're getting attacked by a mob of goblins, let's say it's five goblins, uh, they are going to have at least a plus five to hit for having multiple of them, and they're also going to have plus five to their damage roll just flat out, because you're just getting pelted by a ton of stuff in a single attack, right? You're getting swarmed, it's going to be easier for them to hit you, they're going to do more damage. This could be a way that you introduce multiple smaller enemies in a battle and make them semi-dangerous even though individually they're not as powerful like maybe uh, the players have leveled up a little bit and they're dealing with maybe like hobgoblins or you know bigger things but then throwing in a small uh, band of goblin archers or something where they can have a very coordinated um, you know volley of arrows every round at a targeted player just it makes them as smaller minions more effective but not necessarily harder to run at the same time 
If you're homebrewing these minion groups, you could also give them minion abilities or something that they can do based on the number of minions that they have left. So maybe um, kind of thinking of like a witch's coven or something too, right? Like they're more powerful when there are three of them and they lose access to some of their powers when one of them dies. And then when the next one dies, their powers uh, are restrained. Or maybe conversely, if you have some type of like barbarian type minion group, you give them bonuses as they lose party members, right? They become more vicious and more feral. Um, and just writing in some of those homebrew abilities to say you get more bonuses or less bonuses, or you have special abilities that you can do when you have more people with you in your group. The other fun little thought experiment I did was, with this was bees. How would you handle um, bees and changing the uh, basically the health threshold, right? So we talked about stormtroopers having, you know, 10 health each. So um, a group of five of them would have 50 health. What if you had a group of 20 bees? Would the bonuses from that be like just excessive, right? Let's say a bee has one health. So 20 bees is like a swarm. And does that mean that they get like in D&D &D terms, does that mean that they get plus 20 to hit and plus 20 damage on an attack roll? Um, Cause that sounds like ridiculous, you know, kind of at first glance, but maybe it would be okay at the same time, because if the bees take even one hit, every damage that they take is reducing their to hit and their damage rolls. And when you think about at least bees in general, right? Like if you're com coming in with like a full thing of like armor, like plate armor and stuff, like bees wouldn't necessarily be stopped completely by armor like that like they might just fly around crawl underneath your armor get in your armor and start stinging you underneath right like they're not this this massive metal blade coming down and bouncing off your armor like they can get in and around so maybe having that really high to hit value um makes sense when there's a lot of them right like they're swarming you they swarm your face they get in under your helmet whatever um and they might do a ton of damage right like Getting stung on your face doesn't sound very fun, um, especially if there's a lot of things stinging you, right? But as you as you weed them down, one or two attacks, and they all have one health, and they probably don't do a ton of damage. It's probably like a D4 plus 20 or however many bees it is, right? So like you're at least at high level play. That's not like a a ton, um, and people can get stung to death, which is crazy. But I mean. Swarms of bees or wasps or something can be super dangerous uh, for people if you're not prepared for them. So it was just kind of a fun little thought experiment. Like, what? How does that bonus change if you like really shrink down how much health an individual unit has or an individual minion has versus having you know minion groups that have only two, three, five minions in a group where they have higher health thresholds, right? Like their bonuses aren't going to be as strong for the group because, you know, it's, they only have like four or five of them versus a swarm of bees that has 20. I don't know. Let me know what you guys think in the comments on the discord server. Um, uh, how, how would you handle bees with minion groups? I would like to know your answer. I thought it was, it was very fun to think about that and then be like, well, 
yeah, plus 20 to hit, that, that maybe is accurate. One final thing to say about minion groups before I wrap up is that having these single target groups that have a shared health pool can give you some of that cinematic feel of like the Lord of the Rings where the heroes are running through and they're just like slashing down multiple orcs in one shot or you know dealing with goblins in The Hobbit because a single attack can do enough damage to take out multiple enemies. So uh, in D&D terms, not every character has multi-attack and they can't necessarily do some of those cool like, I stab this guy and I stab this guy and then I throw my dagger at this other guy, right? Um, You can't always get some of those cool cinematic like your party is overwhelmed but the minions that are getting thrown at you are just like super weak because you just don't have enough attacks to do that and so this is just another way to you know your rogue does sneak attack and does a ton of damage and takes out like three people you know have him describe that have him talk about how he's taken down one and chucks a knife at another one and then you know chokes out the other guy you know let them have those like chain kill um moments and those cinematic uh takedowns it just it's just super cool i think it's something that people really want to get to when they're playing a game especially of like D&D as you want to have those cool like fights where you're overpowered uh, but you're overwhelmed um, and that doesn't always come out in the core rules so minion groups can maybe help you get there um, the only other downside with the minion groups is how do you handle area of effect spells like fireball or tossing a grenade into a group um, those things are a little bit more difficult when like it's shared health and not like everybody takes damage um so you will have to think about that a little bit i believe in the case of the star wars rpg you still only take the the damage is applied once to the group because if it was if one of the members was in range of the blast then they all were in range of the blast uh type deal uh, but that is something to consider because area of effect spells would seem like they would be really good but then like on paper maybe not be as good in that scenario so something to think about uh for your players and discuss with your players uh when you get there thank you guys for listening um and letting me ramble about the game that i end up talking about all of the time anyways maybe this will get that off of my plate a little bit so i can i can relax a little bit so we covered destiny points get some quarters and start using destiny points in your game. We also talked about obligation, duty, and morality. Uh, If you have a chance to check out um, the Star Wars RPG books, uh, check those out, see if you can find those uh, tables, because you should be able to lift those out almost completely. Uh, And then depending on what kind of game you want to play, um, if you're going with a faction, or if you're in debt to a faction, or if you want to have some morality, corruption type mechanics, um, pull those out. And then finally, mooks and minions make running combat easier for yourself, make it interesting for your players, and just have a good time figuring out how would you handle the bees. Thanks for listening, guys. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Dungeon Master's Toolkit Podcast. 
You can find links to all of the products and resources that we talked about on the show in the show notes. And if you'd like to join the community or find out how to be on the show, check out our subreddit or join us in our Discord server.